If no rules about content and grading existed, what would you do? I truly believe that we can do anything. The possibilities are limitless. Welcome to Physics Alive. I'm Brad Moser, and I want to help fellow educators spark new life into the physics classroom. Each episode, I'll draw inspiration from the teachers, researchers, authors, and professionals who explore innovative learning, motivate new curricula, and encourage an inclusive and healthy classroom environment. Good physics day, everyone. So the Physics Alive podcast is all about education. It's about general education ideas and principles. It's about physics education research. It's going to be about my interest in physics for the life sciences, about my interest in mindfulness and meditation and how that can serve us in our role as educators. But what I really need to do right now is address what's happening in the world at this moment. While all of these other topics are why I started Physics Alive, I would be remiss to not say something about the fact that we are in the middle of a world pandemic. Right now, it is late in the year in 2020, and the the COVID-19 crisis is is happening. Education is is turned on its head right now, along with many other uh, parts of the world. Teaching is already stressful. It's a lot of work. And now with all of the changes that are being made at all of the different grade levels from from preschool through kindergarten through high school up to college and graduate school, now we're reinventing lessons. We're making brand new curricula. We're, we're on Zoom all the time. We're Zooming in class while also teaching in the classroom. We're teaching two audiences at once. The workload I'm hearing from many folks that describe it is at least one and a half times as much as what it normally is, if not that much more. And if you have kids, you might be staying at home with them, at least part-time or maybe full-time, while trying to do your teaching. You may be trying to oversee their education while overseeing the education of the students that you're teaching. Meanwhile, our students are under significant stress. They're trying to work in a virtual environment. They're trying to find motivation when they often cannot even work in study groups. They're, they're in these environments they're not used to. They're not getting to work with people. It's so much more challenging to be part of office hours. Maybe they're at home all the time and they have distractions around them or just generally they, they don't have the same motivation that one would have being in a school classroom, being on a college campus. And then there's other stressors that, that we might not even be able to fathom most of the time, like a family member getting sick or a family member losing work. And, and now that student has to step up their game and be a more contributing member of the household than they might normally be. So I want to address what we're going through here. I want to acknowledge that we are living in an extraordinary time. And there is this hope, of course, that 
you know, within the next year, we'll go back to something that's more of a semblance of normal. But it does uh, present an opportunity to ask a lot of questions that maybe we hadn't asked before. And there's one particular question that I want to pose today. Do the rules that we are playing by really exist? And I mean this in a, in a particular way. I mean this in the way that we are teaching, the way that we are running our classroom environment, the content that we are teaching, the way we grade. And I ask this specific question as a way to address the significant stress that we are under, the stress that our students are under. How can we think about alleviating that stress? How can we be good to ourselves, to our students, while upholding our strong standards of education? How can we do those things together? Because this isn't sustainable for any of us. Do these rules that we are playing by really exist? Whose standards are we actually meeting? And do we really need to meet those? I think one of the answers to that is we are meeting our own standards. There is some standard that we have set, and teachers quite often are going to be your perfectionist types of folks. People who go into teaching have often done very well in the school environment themselves, and therefore they want to go back into that environment where maybe they succeeded so well and they enjoyed their time there and want to be part of that environment. So we are the ones deciding what topics we teach and at what depth. We're deciding that. So why do we cover so much? when the research has shown that deep learning truly comes with time and effort on topics. Why not cover fewer topics and spend time in deeper investigation? So instead of trying to create more and more content, more and more lesson plans, why not create less and spend more time, more time diving in deeper? We need to determine where our notions of what we cover in class come from. I said, we're the ones that decide this. We might think, no, no, that decision comes from, from elsewhere. And maybe sometimes it does. But I think there are many times it doesn't. So I, I venture that we are the ones that decide what topics we teach and at what depth. I'm also going to venture to say that we are the ones deciding how we grade. So are you stressed by how much homework you have to write and grade? Are you stressed by how many tests and quizzes you have to write and grade by lab reports that you need to read through and comment on and grade? Well, then stop writing and grading so much. Find another way. Simple as that? Yeah, stop writing and grading so much. Don't grade so much. You could check more for thoughtfulness, for effort, for completion. You could do more projects that have a very defined rubric that you're not grading everything super intently, but you're looking for, for certain 
elements that they meet and you know, a certain level of content that you can pretty much judge quite easily whether they have addressed the types of knowledge that you want them to have addressed. I'm specifically thinking of some examples that I have had uh, some experience with, some reading and, and, and learning about specifications grading. Uh, there's a book by Linda Nielsen that, that goes into that. It's a, a book I read a number of years back, and I've even uh, tried uh, some of these ideas in my classroom. And I've only tried it one semester, and I had some success and some challenges, and I have a lot more to learn, a lot more to try out. Throwing out grades. Uh, the names Mark Barnes and Star Saxton are, are two names that are associated with this movement. And this isn't saying that there is no assessment that happens, that students aren't learning because there are no grades, but but each of these is each of these is offering plenty of assessment. But it's often on the fly and it's not linked to grades. There's no extrinsic motivation from grades. Instead, you're trying to tap into students' intrinsic motivations, their interest in learning, in improving their skills. They see more feedback rather than seeing a letter grade. And then as soon as they see that letter grade, stuffing the assignment in a folder, never to look at it again, except maybe before they study for an exam. So we're deciding how much we grade. We also decide how we present our content. And right now, during the COVID crisis, there's a lot of teaching online that is happening. And we are deciding to record the videos ourselves. We're recording our own video lectures for the most part, right? I think many people are doing that. I know many of my colleagues around me are doing that. I hear of other folks doing that or in the classroom presenting a lecture that they give to a live in-class, but are simultaneously Zooming synchronously to students watching at home. Why are we doing that? If you think of it, traditional lecture isn't much more than reading the textbook out loud to our students. In, in physics, writing all of those equations in the textbook out. Why do we do that? Now, I can hear many people jumping out and saying, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, it's not just reading the textbook. I am going through all of the content that I think is most relevant, and I am telling it to my students. I am showing these are the things that are important. This is how you can understand it. I'm explaining to you how to understand it. Here, you can see the equations and make sense of them. But in the physics education literature, and the education literature in general, there is a lot of evidence that says that this is absolutely not true. Just because we stand in front of the class and project these ideas from the textbooks from our own perspective, well, the students are getting, aren't getting it from their perspective. They're, not, they're just learning from another expert. The textbooks is an expert, and you're an expert, and you're just basically being like a textbook. They need to build this knowledge for themselves. They need to work with it. So maybe we don't need to be that textbook for our students. Maybe we don't need to spend our time making our own videos to be a textbook when we could find other resources. Are there websites? Are there videos? Is there audio content? 
I mean, they can read the text. If we're using a textbook, we can say, read the text. And now I, I've heard arguments from people before saying, oh, students don't read. Well, maybe they don't read because it's, it's not actually their assignment. We just say, you should read. We don't say, you will read and you will report on what you read. Uh, I remember a, a calculus class that I had in college. Uh, it was five days a week. It was a lot of calculus. We, we were asked to read the textbook. We were also asked to write notes on our reading. What did we learn? What questions do we have? I read the textbook. I didn't read the textbook in all of my classes, but I definitely read them, read that textbook because I needed to write notes about that. What about videos? I'm going to throw it out there. Khan Academy. Is it perfect? No, of course not. But neither is what we're doing. Is it a reasonable first pass through the material? Absolutely. The lessons on Khan Academy look just like what a textbook would have. It is somebody stepping through the ideas in a textbook and writing the equations down. Look, if that's what we want, why don't use a video that's doing that? Have the students look at that for homework. And then when they come to class, now you work with those ideas with the students. You help them make sense of those ideas. You do problems in class. You use clicker questions to see what they understand and what they don't, to see where the conceptual hurdles are that we need to all leap together. Uh, another YouTube channel, Physics Girl. Uh, she's been around for a number of years, and she just started a Physics 101 class, uh, which she's calling an AP Physics 1 course. And it's free on YouTube. Students could watch those videos. And then you'll know they'll come into class, and they'll have seen the content. They'll have heard it once. But, but that's not where the learning happened. That's just to get some ideas out into the air. And now you work with them in the classroom. There's so many other videos, too. You know, find some others that you like. Then I said, in class, you focus on the sense-making, on practicing. And this sounds a lot like a flipped classroom model. I mean, I guess it is in, in the vernacular of flipped classrooms. But I'm saying that you don't need to make all of these videos. Because if you do, you don't save yourself any time. And you may, in fact, be wasting time because the time you are putting into making those videos is not necessarily time well spent. The education literature suggests that it probably isn't. So these ideas I've posed here, do, do, these, do the rules we are playing really exist? Whose standards are we meeting? Are we trying to meet our own standard? And this standard is what topics we teach and at what depth. It's how we grade and how are we presenting the material, these decisions we're making. Those are all our own standard that we're trying to meet. A valid argument is going to be, well, I have a supervisor. There's, there's a department. There's, there's an institution. There's some bigger level that is establishing what needs to happen in the classroom. So you might argue that you can't change your grading system because others will criticize you. They'll, they'll look at you and say, well, that's not a good way to do it. You can't do that. We have to, in this department, we, we do this in a particular way. But can you know that this is true. Do you know that that idea is true? Have you ever challenged it? For starters, most people probably aren't paying attention to what you are doing in your classroom because everybody has to work so hard to do what they're doing in their own classroom. There's, there's no time. And what I've seen for most institutions is it's very, very rare when somebody actually sits in on your course. 
Yeah, in college, you have to share your syllabus. And so your department chair sees that. So if you do something really wild and crazy, well, maybe it's time to have a conversation with the department chair. Have a conversation with the administration. Say, hey, I would like to propose a trial run on this new grading system, on this new pilot course. Show the resources you've used to create this new structure, the research behind them. I think there's a pretty good chance they would let you try something new and maybe make some small changes at first. See if it works. Show that it probably will work. And then you can build it from there. You might argue that there is a certain amount of content that you must cover, that you yourself believe that you must cover, that you believe your supervisor, your department, your institution, the physics community at large, is expecting you to cover. But I'm going to start by saying there's no evidence that going a mile wide and just an inch deep leads to better long-lasting learning. Again, the evidence counters that. It says that is not true. I see the amount of content in a physics textbook and the amount that so many educators try to get through in the classroom. And it really is mind-boggling. There is no way that students can truly wrap their minds around that many topics. And do they really need that many topics? Is the course you are teaching for non-majors? In high school, there is no major. So yeah, you're teaching to non-majors. I'll adjust the API idea in a moment. So, but in high school, you're not teaching to majors. And in college, except for the physics major course or the engineering course, I think most of the students we teach in college are non-majors. And honestly, there is no impediment except for tradition for what we are teaching. I think it's simply that the physics textbooks are written in a certain way, at least the traditional ones. There are many textbooks that take alternative approaches, but traditional textbooks are written in a particular way with a particular set of content, and we've all learned it that way. And so we just keep doing what was shown to us without ever maybe considering that we don't have to do it that way. And there's no reason that we have to. There's a lot of reasons that we should do things differently and take a completely different approach. Does the general physics student, just the general person in the world, really need to know how to solve for the acceleration of a block going down an inclined plane? Yeah, yeah, there's arguments about critical thinking and mathematical reasoning and this and this and this. But does it have to be that example? I'm not saying that we strip all math and critical thinking out of classes. Absolutely not. We absolutely will keep that in there. But does it have to be the topics that we're doing? Do we have to cover as many topics? Can we look at more fascinating and interesting ideas than the inclined plane, than whirling a ball around overhead? Do our students need to learn Maxwell's equations? Is the course for majors? Well, we have to answer the question, what core ideas do students need to succeed in future courses? We should make sure those ideas are covered. But otherwise, everything else could be saved for an advanced course or, or personal study. Again, it's tradition that is the impediment. 
And this is a conversation worthwhile having in your department to talk about what are the main ideas that are truly important to get across in order for students to succeed in future courses. And I think if we took a close look at that, there are a lot of things that don't necessarily have to be taught in that first year course to get students thinking the right way to be successful in thinking in future courses. Because nobody understands anything after the first time they see it anyway, or the second time, or the third time. You are slowly learning this over many, many, many iterations. So if we remember that idea, then there's very little content that absolutely has to be in that first course. There are ways of thinking. Are you teaching an AP physics course? That's a tougher spot to be in. I, I will admit to that. Uh, I've, I have pretty strong feelings about AP courses. If you're interested, you can read an article I wrote for the school newspaper during my one year of high school teaching. Spoiler alert, I do not support the AP curriculum. I'll have a link to that article I wrote uh, in the show notes. Yeah, the, the AP curriculum, the students need to get prepared for that exam. That's why schools are offering those courses. So there is a lot of pressure to do that. And maybe departments should question why they're offering AP courses. Do they really need to do that? And maybe if that's not for you, Maybe you should try to teach the courses that don't ask you to do that. <laughs> Maybe you move on <laughs> and teach somewhere else. That's easier said than done. But I'll tell you, I did that. I taught for one year in the high school, and I, I honestly, I couldn't stand the AP curriculum. I felt so stifled by it as someone doing modeling instruction in studio-style environment in college for, for eight years. I, I couldn't take it. One year of that drove me right out. It's like, I cannot be confined to this specific curriculum and to try to cover this much and to try to prepare students for a practice test. Doing practice tests in the classroom felt like the biggest waste of time. I told you I wrote this in an article, though, so I'm going to stop, and, and you can go and check that out. So maybe these ideas are crazy. Maybe this question is a little bit crazy. Are we playing by rules that don't exist Have we set these rules for ourselves? And therefore, they're not real because they're just a belief that we have. And we're just following old tradition, the way things have been done. What if we question that and say, that doesn't have to be the way it's done? What if we ask our departments, our school to question that too? And maybe that's too big of a question for for many people around us, but maybe it's not too big of a question for yourself. And maybe there is a lot that you can do, a lot that you can change so that you aren't working yourselves to the bone. That's the point of what I'm thinking about here. We're, we're in the middle of this crisis in the world, but even when we weren't in the middle of COVID-19, teachers were still in crisis. Teachers were still stressed out. Teachers were still burning out. So there's, there's a bigger picture here that's been here for a long time. And we need to ask these questions of ourselves and of those around us. Are we playing by rules that we have made up ourselves and they don't actually exist? They're actually just beliefs in our minds.
What can you do right now? Maybe you're in the middle of a semester or a term and you can't do anything immediately. So maybe you just stop and pause and consider these points. What stories, beliefs, assumptions are you operating under? What spell are you under? This question, are you playing by rules that don't actually exist? Imagine if no rules about content and grading existed, what would you do? How would you do it? What do you think is truly best for your students? Don't think about what tradition has done over time. What do you think is truly best for your students? And you may have different answers than I have. You may have some wild and totally out there idea that I hadn't thought of yet. I'm, I'm sure there's so many ideas like that. I've had a lot of wild and crazy ideas, but I know there's that many more wild and crazy ideas out there. If there were no rules about content and grading that existed, what would you do? If you were planning for a new term soon, or in the middle of it right now, here are some things that you might consider. Consider dropping one chapter, just one. Consider dropping one chapter from your curriculum. And don't fill it with another chapter. I'm not saying to drop one to do something else new. I'm saying drop that one and now use that time that you just opened up for further depth, for further exploration. Consider not grading one particular category that's on your syllabus. Maybe you stop grading homework for credit. Maybe you stop grading lab reports. When I do an episode on modeling instruction in the future, uh, which I, I plan to talk to many folks uh, who do modeling instruction because it's definitely uh, a means of teaching class that I really resonate with. Uh, we'll talk about what we do in the class to make grading these things entirely unnecessary. In, in modeling, we don't grade every single lab report. Uh, we don't grade for credit every single homework assignment. We're looking for, for effort and attempts to try the problems. And then we spend time in class going through them, letting students work on them together to share their ideas with each other. So consider dropping one chapter that you teach. Consider not grading one particular category that you've typically graded. Consider replacing one video that you record each week or maybe one video that you record every other week with one video or piece of content that you find online. Could be a radio episode, a podcast that you have your students listen to that's about some particular topic. Probably not this episode. This is more for the teachers. But I do hope to do episodes in the future where I talk to to researchers, to professionals who use physics. And, and my hope is that those podcasts could be used in the classroom. That for homework, one night you asked students to listen to a podcast, to an interview with a particular professional who uses physics. And then for them to think about that physics themselves and to go into some depth there and to bring that into the, the class and have a conversation about that. But most importantly, I want you to ask this question of yourself. Am I playing by rules that don't exist? What if I could do anything I wanted? What would that be? How can I make that happen? I truly believe that we can do anything. The possibilities are limitless. 
And if we go into it with passion and belief and conviction and care for the well-being and betterment of ourselves, of our families and our students, then the naysayers and the powers that be will be blown over and they will make way for this amazing endeavor. And yes, I know it's going to be amazing. I just know it. What if I could do anything I wanted? What would it be? How can I make that happen? Because these rules that we are playing by don't really exist. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you want to learn more about some of the methods, authors, and individuals I mentioned, head on over to physicsalive.com forward slash no rules to check out the show notes. Again, that's physicsalive.com, no rules, or you can find the show on the episodes page. While you're there, you should subscribe to the Physics Alive newsletter so that you can stay up to date about current episodes, future projects, and ways to share what new endeavors you're trying or new rules that you are playing by. If you're on social media, you can check out Physics Alive on Twitter and Instagram and go to facebook.com physics alive page. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and consider leaving a five-star rating and review of the show. This helps other educators like you find the show. Thanks again for listening in, and I hope you've been inspired to try something new. Your homework assignment. Deeply consider the question I posed. Are we playing by rules that don't actually exist? Then take one action step, no matter how big or small. Please join me again for the next episode of Physics Alive. Until then... Keep asking questions and be well.